0: Welcome to the Indie By Design Podcast, Episode 3. This is a show about game design and game designers. This episode features Roll7, creators of the Oli Oli series, and Not a Hero. The Indie By Design Podcast is brought to you by Stace Harmon and John Robertson. This episode is hosted by me, John Robertson. Stace and I are the writers and creators of Independent By Design Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation, a book which is available now via our website, indiebydesign.net, or via Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at Indie By Design, and if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, we'd be very grateful. You likely know Roll Seven from Not a Hero and the Two Ollie Ollie games, but the core trio that make up the studio have been working together for a number of years prior to these high-profile releases. They've worked in education, teaching kids, among other things, how to make games, and they've worked on advertising campaigns with a number of recognisable brands. And they've also dabbled in creating games based around brain interface technology. Roll7's three founders, Simon Bennett, Tom Hegarty and John Ribbins, work closely together to create and release their games, but it's John that takes the lead in game design. We begin our interview with him by looking back at his earliest game design experiences. I first, like
1: when I was about five, so 1990, um, my dad was a teacher and he brought home an Atari 520 ST from school. Um, there was like one they weren't using anymore. Um, and we had that at home and it was like in my room. Um, and we had a big disc box full of games, which I now realize were all pirated games. Um, but there were like a couple of kids in my, in one of the classes, my dad taught who were really into games and they used to like give him floppy disks and be like, oh, your son will like this or whatever. So didn't know it at the time but they were just ripping games right um but at some point I ended up with a floppy disk that had like basic on it where you can just type in you know like go to line one print hello and it like puts hello on the screen and whatever um and so I used to play around with that and I think kind of looking back I don't think there was um it wasn't like I saw a divide when I was a little kid between messing around in basic and making I mean I guess they're text adventures. It was just putting text on the screen and you'd say yes or no and it'd say some other text, right? There wasn't like a difference, I don't think, that me and my friend Gareth like used to see between doing that or playing a game on the Atari. It was just like we'd go on the computer and mess around. Um, I do remember at one point my gran bought me like a, a comic book annual called Warlord Book for Boys and it was all these like World War II comic book stories, like an annual of them. And in the back, it had like, five pages of basic code. And if you typed it in, it made this kind of like space invaders thing, but, but you're a submarine and they're like ships dropping depth charges on you. And I remember we sat there for a whole weekend, typing all that into basic to make this, this game, which looked nowhere near as good as anything else we actually had in the Atari. Um, so I think that was like, that started me off with being like making, making games is kind of fun. Like making stuff that other people can play on the being like, Hey, play this thing and they can play it on the computer. is quite cool. Um, but for all of being a kid that was just something like i had like click and play as well the like drag and drop game making thing from click um which interestingly the newer version of that is what we made not a hero in <laughs> so i've been playing around with that for like 20 years i guess um or you know programs similar to it um but you know that was never something i thought would be a career like it was always something i just did like as a hobby on the weekends or like to share with friends or like just for my own amusement i guess um and that all kind of fell by the way so i got really into skateboarding and like just school and uni and stuff and didn't really make games quite a while when i was in my late teens and early 20s um but it was when i was at university i started like getting back into it again because i'd like learning a bit of photoshop and i had a friend that was Maya so he was showing me a bit of Maya like how to make 3d models and things Um, and we used to just mess around like either like texture, editing, existing games, like that Kingpin life of crime game, like opening all the textures up in that and drawing our own characters into the game and stuff. Um, and it was through like modding stuff. And then another thing by, uh, programmed by the game creators called first person shooter creator, which was like a drag and drop FPS making thing. Um, but it was really cool that you could drop your own 3d assets into it. I really got back into doing all that stuff kind of as I was finishing university and in the first few years after university was just, um, doing that, like making weird little first person shooter games, but with my own crappy 3d assets. Um, and that's how I ended up meeting, uh, Simon and Tom, who I, who we then founded role seven together. Um, because they were, they were teaching young people, like teaching kids between like 13 and 18, like multimedia skills, basically. So like, film uh tv like website building um like photoshop like all of those kind of like digital media skills and they wanted to move into video games but they didn't know where to start with that i guess and it needed to be like a lot of a lot of the kids they were working with were kids who you know potentially had or were failing like maths and english gcse um, so like academically they were struggling and they wanted to teach them like how to make video games and a bit of programming and stuff, but it needed to be really, it needed to be simple, right? We couldn't just jump in with like, here's some C plus guys. Um, so I, they posted on the forums for first person shooter being like, would anyone want to teach kids how to make games with this? Um, and apparently I was the only person over the age of 15 that actually applied for the role. So I got it. <laughs> um, and like that ended up being their company rolling sound was doing the teaching. Right. And that, that video games course ended up being, um, their most popular course. Um, and so I got to know them like quite well and we were trying to think what else we could do with games. And that kind of, I think at that point it was like before, before you could be an indie on steam. Right. And kind of make money, I guess it's like, it felt like you needed a publisher. So I think we looked at like the world of like commercial and same video games and like, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. Um, but because we had this sort of background in education, we thought like we could do educational games. Um, and we ended up doing a project with some, some young people that we'd worked with in the other courses who really wanted to make a game about like knife crime, um, either cause they'd been victims of, or, uh, involved in gangs and stuff like that and they wanted to make a game about that um, and so we actually like pulled all of the people from all of the different rolling sound courses to make this little game so like the music students made the music for it and the film students wrote the script and the games people made the actual game um, looking at it now it looks super crappy but um, <laughs> also realizing how long we take to make a game now and being like, right. In six weeks, we made this like four level 3d game with like cutscenes and all stuff, um, which is really cool. And I think that was the first point we were like, oh, like we, I mean, we didn't make any money. It wasn't commercial. We were funded to do it, but it was like, maybe we could get funding from outreach groups or awareness stuff, or whatever, to make games that engage people. And that's kind of the first time it was like, cool. I could like, I could work. You know me and Simon Tom were like we could we could work in making games not necessarily like call of duty but we could still get to do something as fun as making games um and earn a living from it so i think that was like the first time that was like the turning point of being like oh we're gonna do like that's when we started roll seven right we were like right, roll seven's gonna make games for good and make educational games and stuff like that uh, and that was the first point we we're like right this could be how we earn our living i guess
0: yeah was it very different for you, um, going from what you were saying before, and you were kind of making games for fun, and the playing of the game and the, and the sort of creation or designing of games wasn't necessarily two different things? Was it? Was it like a, a shock to the system almost to go from that? What sounds like quite a a relaxed, like do it on your own time kind of thing to what sounds like something that's much more structured and kind of deadline based like did that change how you kind of perceived what game creation was
1: um yeah but i think it changes it for the better to a degree so like um on like personal projects i've got tons of stuff most of which i started and never finished even if it was like quite a good idea it just doesn't get finished there's a bunch of reasons for that right like if you work on something on your own it's a ton of work anyway um and obviously if you're doing something in your evenings outside of the thing you do to pay rent and buy food like then it it always fights with all the other things you want to do in your life so it's quite easy for those things to fall by the wayside right um and like when we first started out and we were like (laughs) you know, we did this one game about knife crime. We're like, cool, we're going to do games for good. And then we realized that actually not a lot of people want to pay money or get involved in making games for good. So we were kind of like, um, we kind of scraped around anywhere, right. Anywhere we could, um, to get some funding to do something, um, there was games. So we like did stuff for, we did a game about, uh, employment for a college, uh, for like careers advice stuff. Um, like we did stuff with brain computer interfaces for children with ADHD, um, like we did all kinds of like crazy things. And what was interesting with a lot of those was there wasn't a lot of budget, right? It would be like with a marketing campaign, the company, right? want a whole bunch of stuff, which we also did just cause we needed to get the contracts. So we'd make a website and we <laughs> do some promotional advertising banners and whatever. And then we'd also have like, you know, two grand of this budget to like make a little game as well. Um, so it was really focusing because it would be like right you literally have one month to make this game and make it fun and it not have bugs um and it was at that point it was me and one other guy called ollie making the game so it was like i guess it's like if you if you go and do a lot of game jams it kind of focuses you on like how much can i get done in a small amount of time mm. uh, so i think it was cool like there was a lot of time in experimentation when i just messed around as a kid like trying 3d trying 2d learning programs whatever um and learning I guess a lot about all the different bits of how a game goes together but then when we actually started making games as a gun for hire studio that was like that was the bit where i think we learned how to focus and plan your time and scope something so that you can actually finish it rather than yeah. <laughs> when you make a hobby project and you're like it's going to be an online rpg and every single character will have their own lives where they walk around and if i interact with them i can like and you start making it and I've got a spreadsheet and I've got one guy that can walk around a flat plane or whatever and then, you know, eventually it's like, I'm just never gonna finish this. So what's the point? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it kinda sounds like um you often talk to people and they and they certainly um independent studios that I've spoken to, they there there's I mean I'm not gonna say it's a universal um reaction but there, there's there's sometimes a reaction when they talk about working as a, a a like a contractor for another studio that it's kind of it's very sort of rigid and limiting but it sounds like from what you're saying that it, it it's actually the thing that kind of maybe taught you how to work within those constraints and then gave you kind of like the tools to then go out go out alone uh as as role seven as as doing your own stuff by yourself like would that be like a fair a fair comment
1: yeah that's true i think you know if you if you enjoy playing tennis you can just go and hit a ball around with a friend every weekend right if you want to get good at tennis you need to just stand there trying to hit a ball into the same spot every single time so that you get good at that shot that's not necessarily fun playing a match of tennis kind of is fun and I guess it's sort of similar with with what we did like I'm not making someone out even if someone comes to you and goes we want a game and you come up with the creative for it and what it's gonna be and you put it to them and they go great we want you to make that game for us it's still never your idea and it's built in the constraints of someone else's kind of wants and needs and then also you know they have a vested interest and input into what it ends up being and so mm. um, yeah, it's good and it's focusing and it, to a degree it teaches you. And I, I think it's a situation that we, which was good to an experience, which was good to have had before, um, you know, before we got funding from Sony to do Ollie Ollie, um, we'd made games for clients. So we, we'd had that experience of like back and forth effectively with the people that hold the purse strings, Mm -hmm. um, and knowing kind of how to deal with that to a degree and what it's like to have a client. Um, to tell you the flip side of that when we actually started working with sony <laughs> like we'd send them documentation and initially we were like asking about stuff and putting things forward and they were kind of going like we're not your client like this is your game you can do what you want with it and at that point we were still so used to having to make sure everything was okay with the person that was funding it um so it was a bit weird actually when we first got funded by sony to have that freedom all of a sudden that they were like well no it's your game <laughs> unless it's horrific like it's your game yeah we're not push you to do one thing or the other you decide
0: yeah was that a was that a surprise like were you expecting that kind of relationship with someone with the kind of working at the kind of scale that sony does
1: so i think we always expected it was going to be different when once we were like making our own game like once it was ours um because I guess we touched on this before we actually started on the podcast, but like obviously it's our studio, so yeah. there is no one above you to go. Oh no, guys, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Like everything, every decision ultimately falls down to me and Cy si and Tom whether it's something that should go in the game or whether there's time to do it or you know whether we can bring another person on to cover that bit or like whatever those things are. Um, and that's actually quite scary, I guess. You know, there are those bits where you're like, right, that's how the whole of the meta game is going to work. Like we're mm-hmm. We're all agreed that that's good and we think that's going to work and kind of everyone has to say yes. And that's like quite a a weighty decision to make. And there's lots of those decisions to make. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, if you have a client, you propose all those things and you go to them and you go, this is what we're going to do. And they might feed back or they might be like, brilliant, we're happy with that. And you're kind of no longer the responsible one, right? Because someone else said they wanted it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas making games as we do now, um, you're making it. (laughs) Because you hope somebody wants it. (laughs) Like when it comes out you hope that all those decisions you made are what people wanted, I guess. And that's that's different and a bit scary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you so yeah, so when you're you're a small team, there's three of you that are founders of the company, three of you that are kind of, you know, the the employees and the directors as it were. Mm -hmm. Um and you're making these big decisions, you know, you're you're a small company, you're not gonna make any money unless you you know get up and and do something so when it comes to um decision making and coming up with ideas and stuff is there a is there a natural split between you three in terms of the responsibilities that you take up or do you kind of collectively come to a decision about lots of things um how does that kind of that dynamic work internally
1: um we all kind of we take slightly separate i guess roles across the game like in in any major decision the three of us are always involved and what's quite nice is there are three of us so um we kind of don't end up kind of bashing bashing heads like you might do if there are only two founders i guess there's always a third person to kind of mediate and ultimately make the decision that means it's one thing or the other um Um, which obviously sometimes can suck if you're the person whose idea gets overruled but um It can also be nice other times when you're the person whose idea gets upheld by somebody else. So, you know, on balance I think that works quite well. And the lesson learned is most of the time in most of those decisions, um if the right decision is obvious, we kind of all came to it. And usually when it's divided and we're we're battling, it's um it's because neither of them are necessarily better. They're just different and you've got to choose one of them.
0: Yeah. And did did it was that always the the case with uh with that with that relationship or did did it take i know you said simon and and tom uh were working on a role in sound and then you came in for the for the video games bit like was it was there um did it always feel like you were how to how to phrase it like were were you always equal in the partnership was there always a kind of like a a period of kind of adjustment before everyone trusted each other to to the same extent in terms of making the decisions and all wanting the same thing and kind of trusting each other's ability to actually follow through on stuff. <laughs>
1: um so I think Well initially <laughs> initially Simon and Tom were my bosses because I actually went and worked for their company uh when they were doing the the youth outreach stuff. Um and so when we started roll seven um they actually put some money into it to get it going and so on um and it was the three of us founded it and i kind of was i guess uh at that time kind of bringing ip i suppose and ideas and and Mm. and they were bringing like the business side of it as well so i think i think in in the early days obviously as i said i worked with them initially so i think i had to earn my stripes a little bit because they'd been in business together for like six years and they'd known each other since they were four and i was kind of the new person on the scene um obviously there was a transition period where the that roll 7 and rolling sound were running at the same time as well so there was a period where um tom was running rolling sound the youth company and me and simon and ollie who worked for us at the time were running roll 7 um and so i think that was the point maybe with them where uh well, I'm not going to lie like i was pretty useless back then because they'd actually been running a company and running a business quite a long time and i just sort of wandered out of university as this person who just liked sitting around making video games and going skateboarding um yeah. so you know sitting down and doing a cash flow or a time plan for something or like managing yeah. other people was all like totally new to me um so they totally gave me a lot of leeway and i guess a lot of guidance as well in like how to manage other people and how to time plan and think about budgets and stuff like that and cash flows and you know all those kind of things that come along with um running a creative company. Mm. Um but I think it also once we actually started making video games as opposed to uh like doing gun for hire and marketing stuff once we started making our own games, I think it took us a little it took us like Ollie Ollie basically, the first game we did to kind of find our our places a bit like from my side because like Oli Oli would be like most of the games we've done have been like prototypes I've built that we've then played a bit and it's been like that prototype that's the thing we want to build and then we go and build it hopefully someone wants us to build it um and so from that side like I'm usually the one that's leading on kind of like the direction of the game and the design and the art um that's kind of always been the case but I guess uh how much I get to lead on that is something that we've kind of found our place on and Tom has kind of uh I guess emerged as um production side and being very on it with time planning and talking to all the people that are working on the game and making sure we're on track and managing that kind of stuff um and Simon's being very much on like product and polish so uh always wanting everything to be the best it can be and not only that but like you know what's the icon going to be how's the trailer going to work like how is this is more than just the game like what makes it shiny and interesting and kind of how do we sell it I suppose mm. um so I think it took us a little while to kind of like bed into those roles once we were like, once we like, get to the exit, the first game we did, the mobile game, that was just kind of a mess. That was just us scrambling to try and make a game that we thought was going to be quite cool without anyone kind of being like, right, you just deal with that and I'll just deal with this and so on. Ollie, olly, we kind of bedded ourselves in, I think. And then from there, I think we've been much better at like, you know, when you look at a problem being like, right, this is Simon's problem to solve. Obviously, we all feed into it, but you lead on it. Um, and we trust you to to sort of lead on that thing. Yeah. Um, I think it took us a little while to find that, but I think that's kind of natural anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when you're, um, um, uh, when you're coming up with ideas, are they? Is I mean, I don't, uh, is that a, for want of a better term, like a kind of a. Uh, uh, it's all it's all a natural process whatsoever would it be is it like a you know a divine inspiration you just like some some somehow an idea strikes you and you and then you develop it or or is it like a sort of slower burn obviously Ollie Ollie's a skateboarding game and you've mentioned the skateboarding Mm. interest so there's an obvious link there but um, do you have a sense of uh do you have a structure in terms of coming up with the ideas, I suppose, is is the question? Or or are they kind of uh you know, in the nicest in the most positive kind of way, are they kind of plucked from
1: plucked from <laughs> thin air? <laughs> um So I guess like even though we uh even though we now make games, um I guess when you ask like how does it change when you start going from like a hobby project to a commercial project? Mm. Like even though we're working like full-time on say Ollie oli 2 um I because games has been my hobby I kind of always need a side project and it like might only be something I put like an hour into over a whole week and just like oh I'm just going to set up the beginnings of a level editor or like I'm just going to make a whatever it is I feel like making at that point right like some some idea that's in the book of ideas that I'm like I feel like working on that um because obviously like having those side projects is nice because at times at times making games that you're going to ship is not a lot of fun um you're just kind of going through like the motions of getting to the next bit that needs to be done or like getting through this iteration on the level or whatever like um there is a lot of fun in making a game but there's also a lot of like quite monotonous um or or tedious stuff that you have to do right and so it's still quite fun to then in the evening be like, I'm going to make a game about a cat that shoots lasers or whatever. Um, so there's quite a few of those, right? There's a ton of ton of kind of jam ideas that have just sit in a folder and some get worked on more uh, because maybe they're good and others kind of sink to the bottom of the folder and never get touched again. Um, and I think with all the games that we've done so far, although uh, they all started as an idea I had and I made something rough that kind of got the idea across, and that was just picked from a conversation with someone, or you know, it was just popped into my head while I was wandering on the street, or whatever, and wrote it down. Yeah. Um, all of the games have, have always then had input. So like Ollie Ollie, um, I gave Simon like Oli Oli was originally on mobile, and I gave it to Simon, um, like on test flight or whatever it's called. Um, yeah. And he went away on holiday and just like played it loads while he was on holiday uh and was like sending the ideas and we were like competing for the highest score like I didn't have online high scores we just screenshot the high score screen and send it to each other um so obviously that idea then like grew from there right like it was like feeding back a lot and being like oh this feels like you could do with that it could be really nice if this happened or like could there be tricks if I flick my thumb in different directions or whatever um and like similarly our current project which I can't talk about but the sort of genesis of that was like I'd built a prototype that I kind of quite liked and me and Tom got stuck on a train, uh, back in Birmingham. Like it got delayed and we ended up stuck on this train for like three and a half hours. Um, and we just ended up like playing that prototype from the train and being like, Oh, it'd be cool if we did this. And like, Oh, what if that wasn't quite like that? And instead this happened and whatever. Um, and so it's always been like, I think that's when we've known one of those prototypes is good is like when I've shared it beyond just me making it in my room with Simon or Tom and it's sort of started to spawn conversations about like where it could go and what else it could do. And like, it's kind of obvious that there's an enthusiasm from everybody else as well to like, take it forward. Um, you know, there's other games that I've been like, Hey, I've been working on this and showed it to him. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, they're kind of the barometer for like, is this a hobby project or is this like, uh, is this something like we could work on it? Like, is there, like if the two of them are enthusiastic to take it further, then I think that's usually a, a, good barometer of whether whether it's like worth pursuing i suppose
0: yeah so do you show the other guys uh everything that you kind of make on make in your own time or do you kind of self-censor yourself in a way and kind of just show them the stuff that you think might work as a as a role seven
1: project i definitely self-censor the the lollipop man simulator where you try and get children across a freeway is definitely not something i pitched to them as a role seven project <laughs> uh, well
0: you gotta come out now you've made it public
1: yeah it's actually out you can get it it's terrible um so no like there's i think i, I also have quite that you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like i put things on itch recently because i just mm. I was like, you know what? I'm probably not going to work on this anymore, but it would be interesting to see what people think. Um, You know, and there's other projects where I've like taken it to a point and realized I'm not interested in taking it further. So even if I showed it to them and they were like, oh, this is really cool. We could do something with it. I'm kind of like, I'm not interested in it because sometimes it's quite fun. Uh, I can't think of an analogy, but sometimes it's quite fun to be like, I'm just going to make an arena shooter. I've never made one before or like a while ago is like I'm going to make it like one of those mode seven racing games, uh-huh. like where the track kind of scrolls instead of it being an actual track, you know, like back on the old, like, uh, snares. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to make a, a mode seven racing game. Like there is no market for this. It's never going to be a commercial thing. I'm just doing it. Cause I want to see how the mode seven thing, how, how you make that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, there's a bunch of stuff that just was definitely just for fun it sits in the folder. And then there's a few yeah. things, a few things I'm like, that could be really cool. Um, yeah, and they they go forwards.
0: How? Yeah, when when you say you, it's interesting to see what people think on the on the kind of the itch releases or, uh, and stuff like that. Is it? Um, how much kind of to heart? I suppose how much do you kind of take the any kind of criticism or feedback? Kind of um, seriously. I mean, I mean, do you? do you kind of meditate on that stuff after you've read it or is it a case of that the project was always kind of just for fun anyway so it's not something you spend a lot of time like thinking about thereafter
1: sometimes it's really like i guess a lot of the time with criticism on unfinished projects the things that people criticize are generally the reasons why either you haven't finished it or i you know you've gotten bored of it or whatever like Mm. I don't know there's a snowboarding game I did which just isn't very fun to control, and it's like I can't think of a way to make it fun to control, but at the same time, without that, it's just a bit crap. And so, you put it up, and I've had people email and be like, It's just horrible to control, and it's like, Cool, <laughs> your crit is valid, but I knew that. Um, what's often interesting though is like the suggestions that people have. Like, sometimes people are like, Hey, what if it did this? and it's like, Oh, that would make it way better, but i i'd have to rewrite half the code for it to work like that and again <laughs> i'm just not gonna bother yeah. uh, so
0: i think I'm... yeah sorry,
1: sorry. Yeah. i was gonna say like i think itch is putting stuff up on itch like the end of last year and this year was actually a a sort of uh scary reminder of how hard it is to actually just get anyone to play your game without some kind of marketing um i like i i, I sort of don't mind if no one's played it i not hoping it gets a billion downloads um but it was interesting to just put mm-hmm. some stuff up and just tweet it and be like i'll put it up and be like wow i've got like a hundred downloads in like three months mm-hmm. um you know if i if that was my project <laughs> i'd be a bit gutted yeah
0: yeah is it nice to it kind of seems like there's a parallel there between doing that sort of project and the stuff that you were talking about when you were doing building games when you were um when you were younger like you're just kind of doing it doing it for the fun does it kind of is that one of the reasons why you're interested in doing it it kind of takes you back to that kind of more uh like the less the less pressurized kind of um arena of in comparison to making games that have to kind of make you a living and run the company
1: um yeah, I think it's probably that. And I think it's also just uh, a kind of, um, like when I used to make games when I was a kid, like we didn't like we didn't have the internet in my house until I was like 16, 17. So for most of the time that I made games, like unless you came over to my house, you didn't see them. Um, I think once i burned, I, I put a game on, a, I made a game for someone or I'd like made a game and it was a friend of mine's birthday and it was like only a megabyte. So I put it on a floppy disk and gave it to him his birthday present and he was like oh, aren't you going to give me a proper present and I was like oh <laughs> I made you a game yeah, I spent hours on it. it was a crap game <laughs> um but so I don't know like I think yeah to a degree it's just actually wanting to put some stuff out um you know like the sort of indie scene anyway uh people share a lot of stuff and that's mm. not something I've ever really it's been part of my game making right like i just sort of made things and i sat on my computer um I shared stuff on forums a bit um, a little while ago, but I haven't really had a forum that's been that I've been involved with. So it's kind of like maybe maybe like itch can be that forum, I guess. Maybe like mm. putting it out there and involved with people, um just sort of happened. Like there's a few other people that are on there that I've subsequently like met up with or spoken to. Yeah. Um, so that's been cool. Yeah.
0: And when you say, I mean, when you when you come up with ideas, so take the role of serving game as an example. When you're coming up with something like um, not a hero, is it a case that you want to make? The idea starts with I want to make a um, a what is it like a side scrolling shooter in, in in a way, or 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 with Oli Oli, is it I want to make a skateboarding game? Or instead of that, do you approach it in terms of I want to make a game that? forces like a certain kind of interaction or has a certain kind of pacing or a certain kind of difficulty level and then you layer on like okay i'll, I'll add a skateboard in order to bring that <laughs> idea um yeah. like which way around does it does it come or, or is it neither of those things is it something else
1: um well the inspiration for those two games comes from two quite different places so mm-hmm. ollie ollie Oli Oli was a game that i tried to make when i was about 13 using click and play um and i could never figure out how to get the collisions to work so it could tell the difference between something you can grind and something you can ride on Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i gave up Uh, but if i still had my computer from whenever that was 1995 um like visually it looked almost exactly the same as the prototype that we first pitched to sony it just didn't play right um and so like, that was just like, I got back into like trying to make games. Like I had a bit of a break. We did it at work. So when we started roll seven, like that was, I sort of didn't make the games. We were doing a lot of stuff in flash and HTML. And then we were doing a lot of stuff in when we were doing brain computer interfaces, like just straight C plus And that was kind of all beyond me or I was learning it, but not good enough to use it on stuff we were doing for clients. So. I was kind of out of that side and I was very much just on like design and visuals and that kind of thing. Um, and so with Oli I got back into like, let's just make some games. Um, and it was like, that's an idea I always wanted to do and I think I know games a bit better. So I'm going to come back to it because it's always been in my head as something I thought would be cool. Just a skateboarding game where I can do a 180 and my guy faces the other way because I've never played a 2D game where you could do a spin and land the other way. Like a 2D skateboarding game where you could spin. Land riding switch right the wrong way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the starting point. Was like, I just wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in making that and having quite a janky landing system, that's then where the like the press X to land thing came from. Um, and then it was like, that's the fun bit. That's the like, well, it's not, that's the super fucking frustrating bit. But that's the bit that makes it fun when you figure it out and you're like in that sort of flow state, I guess, where you, the rhythm is correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that one kind of just grew from grew from that, I guess. Going like that one mechanic is really fun, so everything now has to be built around that landing mechanic. Um, whereas not a hero was a totally different game. <laughs> yeah, not, not a hero was Jeffrey Archer before it was not a hero. Um, Jeffrey Archer was basically like spelunky with a bow and arrow, but nowhere near as good as spelunky. Um, but yeah, you just jumped around and you had a bow and arrow, so you kind of shot arrows at people, a bit like Angry Birds style. So you pull the bow back and shoot, and then you have platforming. Um, yeah, and at some point, I made a little man with a gun just because I was bored. Drew a man with a gun on the same sprite sheet using the same kind of character as I had in Jeffrey Archer, and then I put him in Jeffrey Archer and had him running around shooting Yorks, and was like, it's kind of fun running around and shooting things. It's a bit more immediate than shooting bow and arrow. Um, and again, like I just play, I really loved. Um, Gears of war and i really loved uh Kane and lynch for like cover-based shooters and to a degree i knew I, I knew i could never do a cover-based shooter on that scale um but i was like maybe you could do it in 2d kind of maybe it could feel like elevator action but it's got like a cover system that like gears like duck behind walls and stuff um so yeah it kind of grew from there like let's just get that cover mechanic in um mm-hmm. and then kind of that went in and then the silliness came a lot later all of the craziness of not a hero um, that all came much later on when we tried to write a story and realized we were crap at writing stories uh, and so it'd be better if it was nonsense
0: i don't think many people would make the connection between gears of war and cale and and Lynch when they're they're playing not a hero which is
1: which kind of there's a move in gears of war which is kind of really influential to the fear of not a hero like you know in gears when you run at a piece of cover and there's someone on the other side of the piece of cover and you've got the shotgun and you can slide in and stick the gun over the top and shoot and headshot them and Mm. kill them in one go it's like this one fluid like slide pop shoot kill like that felt so good to do that was like one of the coolest things and that was kind of like the not a hero thing of being able to like slide into a piece of cover and then critical hit someone straight on the other side or like slide into someone knock them down and then execute them on the floor in this kind of I hoped I was trying to recreate the feel of the slide cover shotgun thing in in Gears of War in just a variety of different ways through Night Hero.
0: If you're interested in game design and game designers, then do make sure you check out Independent by Design, Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation. It's a hardback book, written by us, that combines inside stories that focus on specific studios and individuals, all of which is informed by tens of hours of original interviews, alongside compelling pages of original artwork and concept documents. Roll7 are featured, as are over 20 other studios and individuals. They include The Chinese Room, Beer, 11-Bit Studios, Dean Hall, and Tom Francis. Just go to indiebydesign.net to get your copy today. You can also follow us on Twitter at IndieByDesign and on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash independentbydesign. Our website, as well as being a portal through which you can listen to our podcast and buy our book, is also full of interesting editorial content for you to read. Again, that's at indiebydesign.net. We begin the second half of our chat with John by discussing the difficulty level that Roll7's games have thus far presented to their players.
1: Oli Oli is a hard game um, and like we knew that before it came out like we thought it was too hard when it came out and I think it hopefully it, I think it could have had more fans <laughs> i met a lot of people who went oh, I played Oli Oli didn't really get past the first world um, <laughs> so but they really liked it but it was just too hard for them um, and I think like with uh with only only two, we tweaked some stuff. So it was slightly less punishing when you got a sloppy landing. Um, and with not a hero, we definitely, well, like when you, when we're talking about being critical of projects with not a hero, I think we all felt like the, there's three worlds in the game, right? And the last world difficulty curve, the spike is too high. Um, like the first world of the game, you don't have to be good at the game systems. You can just shoot your way through like an idiot if you want. Um, and to a degree you can do it in the second world as well and in the third world it kind of goes like nah, now you have to play properly or you're going to die all the time mm-hmm. um, and i actually think that was a mistake like when we look back at the game i'm like i think that game shouldn't have been hard like you should have been able to go from beginning to end pretty easily and the, to get you know to unlock like Megalord and unlock all of the kind of cool harder to get endings that should have taken the skill and the understanding of the underlying systems in the game but i should we shouldn't have demanded of that that of you in your initial playthrough, uh, so I think there's actually been a softening in our sort of approach to that kind of stuff as we've gone on from Ollie Ollie forwards, and I think, um, yeah, I think we've been like, I want to make games more accessible, like I want more people to be able to play it and have fun, but that there to be a high enough ceiling of skill in there that once you kind of discover the game and hopefully you get into it, that there is a lot of depth in the mechanics and in the systems for you to get really good at it but initially you can still get in there and feel like a badass
0: do you think it's harder to build um that kind of game that you're describing there where you can go through but there's also a kind of another level of complexity of challenge if people want it to or um is it harder to build that kind of game than say a game that has a consistent maybe more authored for want of a better words? um kind of curve that you know every player is going to experience in roughly the same way as as every other as every other player playing it.
1: I think that's really tricky, right? Because like if you look at something like Oli Ollie, we'd always been like the amateur levels are the levels that everyone can play and everyone can get through, hopefully. <laughs> we might have yeah, been I'm wrong. Maybe they should have been a little bit easier. But for the most part, you should have been able to get through all the amateur levels. And With the amateur levels you only have to get to the end of level two to get level three you don't even have to do any challenges right but if you beat five challenges you get a pro level Um, and what's really interesting in talking to a lot of players after it came out is people felt like they had to do all five challenges like you don't have to you can just go through and play all the amateur levels but people like felt like they were missing out on the game or that they weren't playing it properly if they didn't do all the challenges so even with that where we kind of went here's the fun thing and then if you want to put the time in, here's the other thing. Like, because it's a game and because you're coming to it cold and you just get it on your computer, you're like, Oh, it's given me this stuff to do, I'm supposed to do it. Mm. Um, it's quite hard in the game to be like, Hey, that stuff, don't have to do it if you don't want to. Um, and you know, as people making the game, it's like, Pro mode and Oli Ollie is literally half the content we made. So we kind of want you to play it as well. So I do think that's a really hard balance. You know, either you've got to have an incredibly long mm. game <laughs> yeah. where it gets harder very slowly um yeah we actually had i had this chat with graham who you spoke to the other week the other night where he was like i hate the fact that so many games kind of kick me out about halfway to three quarters of the way through like i'm enjoying it and i want to finish it but it just gets too hard like i want to finish the story and i want to see the end and i want to progress the character through but the actual levels what i'm actually playing is just beyond my skill level at this kind of game now yeah Uh, but I think that's just the conundrum for video games a lot of the time
0: Um, yeah yeah I mean I I I have that experience as well like I think it's yeah it's definitely one of the conundrums of video games I think it's one of the things that kind of put off a lot of people from video games as something that they even might choose to spend as a kind of a something to relax with in front of the tv or whatever because you know, often they're not relaxing at all, um, and you can't just go through and experience them in that way like you can a, a film or whatever. I'm not that I want to carry on the debate of comparing video games to films, but... um, Yeah, I mean, do you do you tend to play games that are especially challenging in that way? I know mean, you mentioned Gears of War and that, but do you do you play other games that are... I mean, in your free time for fun, do you play games that are, have a, a kind of, force a lot of interaction from you? Do you play games that are, you know, more kind of casual and, and just sort of easier to, easier to get in and out of? I mean, what, what would you consider like a, your sort of go to, your go to game?
1: That's really hard. Like, I, so, I mean, like, on my phone i have a game called platypus evolution which is just a clicker where you grow platypi or platypuses whichever it is which is like a stupid game um you know and i make games and i like i'm like i know what this game is doing but i'm still still making platypi because it's cool um and i have a real soft spot for roguelikes even though i never am ever going to finish a roguelike uh like darkest dungeon or rogue legacy all those games they all get me Mm -hmm like I can't compulsively play that kind of thing but I I know I'm never going to finish them and then like weirdly I do quite like games like Oli Oli like super hexagon and hotline and those kind of things um but the weird thing with those games is like and it's like almost like understanding the the floor of the stuff that we make as well is like I like twitchy punishing challenging games like Mm -hmm. devil daggers right it's like you need to learn how to play this game it doesn't have a lot to it but you need to learn how to be good at it yeah. um but i'm also aware a lot of those games just don't grab me like i'll play it and i'm like nah i'm not going to put in the nine hours required to feel like a badass yeah. um but sometimes they do and then i end up spending like all weekend on it so there's that yeah. i think like it, i understand that about our own stuff is that a lot of people are like yeah it should be my kind of game i just don't like it um yeah. but then like you know I, I'm playing horizon zero dawn at the moment as well like i'm pretty uh i'm pretty open to to most genres i've kind of been made aware of more stuff recently because my my girlfriend works in games too and is into very different uh i guess genres of games than i would ever have really looked at before um so obviously like through playing games with her i've played like firewatch and um oh my goodness what's the game with the Girls that say hello a lot and everyone goes back in time.
0: Um I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's made by, I, yeah. it's made by Don't
1: Nod and you play a girl called Alex and she oh, can uh,
0: Life is Strange, yeah. Life
1: is strange. So like those games, and I really loved like a lot of the time I just watched Holly play them. Um but I really enjoyed those games. <laughs> uh they're not necessarily something I would have ever picked up and played. So mm. I don't know. I think it's cool to have like a broad experience of of all the stuff that's out there, it's just yeah. finding time to play it all because there is literally so much now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you find it as as a designer yourself? Do you find it kind of difficult to switch off when you're when you're playing games made by other people, or are you always in kind of like design designer kind of level awareness when you're when you're playing it and you and you're able to see like all of the kind of mechanical systems that are building up to to the sort of overarching um experience do you do you sort of compartmentalize it in in that way when you're playing or are you able to just kind of experience it as a as a sort of layman
1: well before i made games so before i like you know did this as a as a job i was still really critical of games i played um and i think i think that's true of like most of the gaming audience especially like and we don't right but if we made online first person shooters um the kind of people that are going to go and play an online first person shooter have probably played a bunch of other online first person shooters and have opinions about what it should be and how it should play uh and you know they're not approaching it as a designer but they're approaching it as someone who understands the medium um and so i think i think if you're someone that plays games it's very hard to switch off your kind of like critical analysis of the thing that you're playing do you know what i mean like you play yeah. horizon zero dawn and you're like oh right there's a hunting thing for like wildlife and i get to craft with that right cool that system's in there and i'm going to have to do that if i want to get some of the stuff in the thing and i don't think it's i don't think it's unique to game designers that you see that like any if you've played a far cry game and you play horizon zero dawn like you obviously draw comparisons mm-hmm. um so no i don't think i i don't think i switch off like how i I think about games but I don't think that that necessarily changed a great deal when I started designing them I think yeah as someone who just played a lot of games like you're always you're always critical of the stuff that you're playing and comparing it to other things that you play did they do that as well as that other similar game or whatever yeah or going Wow these people did something totally original I've never seen this before I wish I'd thought of that god damn it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh,
0: that's the dream for everyone um, and then to switch topic completely Completely. Um, the, <coughs> Give um a the recipe for chocolate brownies yeah, yeah 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 this is the other <laughs> podcast that I do I haven't told you about um so you mentioned that um um you were working on the the brain interface um stuff which isn't really something that I think most people would know really much about and certainly nothing it's not something that people, w- many people, would have experienced fast, fast hands. So, um, so what what did that consist of mainly? It's like you know, headset <laughs> on, and you think about moving something on screen, and then that happens.
1: Um, I'm going to sound really critical of this now, but I don't mm-hmm. don't mean to. But it is just our experience of having worked with this stuff is like there. Electroencephalograms, so they're reading certain brainwaves um, in your head, but those sensors are very sensitive, so it's not always reading the brainwaves in your head. It might be m- reading the fact you have moved your eyebrows uh, or that you that you're talking, um, and so like it was a very it was a very challenging thing to use as a controller. Like obviously the first thing you think of when someone says like, there's this thing you can put on your head and if you concentrate, you can change stuff in the game. Or like if you relax, you can change stuff in the game. So like, I don't know, we sort of heard about this thing and I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like we could like mod a first person shooter so that if you concentrate, the target reticle like gets more accurate and like, The sort of health regen thing is like if i relax my health comes back so if i'm stressed i don't recharge health as fast that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but it's just not that immediate right and it can it can be swayed by what you're doing right so saying like oh it's a first person shooter if i concentrate i get more accurate well by mere fact i'm playing a game i'm concentrating and so my concentration value is always quite high so it's quite hard to kind of make that into a throttle for your accuracy um so it was really good fun and we did lots of stuff where it was kind of like used passively so we made like a vertically scrolling shoot them up where the more you concentrated the more bullets you shot so it was like a reverse bullet hell like if you could concentrate really hard you just filled the screen with bullets and destroyed everything um and then if you lost concentration you didn't shoot at all and you just had to dodge like desperately until you could concentrate again um so it was that was like a really uh it was an interesting time because it was like, you know, when we, when we came to work in Sony and it was like, right, we're doing game for Vita and no one's ever seen Vita before. Here's a SDK go. Like we had had some experience of that kind of thing before, right? Like getting a, a weird new piece of hardware that we didn't know how to work with and, and sort of figuring it out. Um, and the game that we did for, uh, Neurocog, which was a company that works with children with ADHD. We did a game, uh to help kids with adhd that was based around them doing kind of puzzles and it measuring how much they were concentrating while they were doing those puzzles mm. i'm not 100 percent sure how accurate the brainwave readings would be uh because as i said like it was a very sort of uh, at the time it might have improved now who knows but at the time it was quite a sort of finicky uh reading that you got but we were really proud of the game we made <laughs> The actual bit the game that you played was, was really cool. Um, uh, regardless of like whether the tech stood up to the challenge, I suppose. But it's certainly fun to get to work with some weird technology.
0: Yeah, yeah, well I was gonna say working with the Vita even though it was a new a new platform at that point must have looked, you know, <laughs> positively kind of <laughs> normal and you know, compared to that. <laughs> um but yeah, no, it might see yeah, what you're saying about the ADHD, I read a book recently, um about neurology. It's called Mind Wide Open and he was talking about the author of that talk talks about how um they use games like that quite a lot in where well, he he was specifically talking about kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD and and I can see like the potential benefit of of that. Um but i don't know like do do you think it's a realistic path for games to kind of continue to explore into the future
1: as in games for games for health
0: games um no just games for um for kind of entertainment i suppose i mean i mean i can i can definitely see this the, the in theory how it would work with um the health side but do you think it's a realistic like commercial proposition
1: i think it has very similar pitfalls to like vr like Mm. uh you know if you play like a room space vive game you gotta feel like play you gotta feel like standing up and wearing a headset and moving around and punching things or pulling levers or whatever like you gotta there's a big difference between that and just sitting on your sofa holding an ipad playing like fallout shelter or you know sitting on a sitting in a chair playing ps4 like there's a bit more of a commitment to playing a vr game and in a similar way like with the brainwave stuff <laughs> if you if you ever sort of had to work late and you went out to the pub and had a couple of drinks and then came back to the office like you <laughs> couldn't get reading
0: um, <laughs> yeah
1: so it's kind of that thing like you could have the headset you could have a really cool game for it but like you go out with mates and have a couple of drinks and come back to your place and you're like oh should we play that game like no one can play it it's all your brainwaves are messed up um so it's
0: spectator sport
1: well you build the whole game around the fact that it uses brainwaves from drunk people um but yeah I think it's like it's like kind of any of the sort of newer tech things like HoloLens or VR like I think it's um it's a bit of a commitment at the moment both financially and like you put in a thing on your head it's a bit different from holding a controller yeah Uh, so I think until I guess until they're more discreet I think it will... I'm really wary of this, right, because someone's going to go back and listen to this podcast in, like, five (laughs) years' time, wearing some brainwave reading thing and some kind of holographic glasses and be like, what an idiot. It was only five years and all of this happened. Um, Well, in five
0: years' time, this podcast will be streamed straight into someone's head and they'll just...
1: Yeah, via one of those brainwave (laughs) things.
0: There you go. Yeah,
1: Yeah. So, so who knows? Like, it would be cool if they did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean when you're talking about this stuff, um the the brainwave controller and the, the rolling sound educational work that you've done and the the projects on Itch. I mean people know Roll Seven for Oli 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 too and um not a hero, but there's so much other stuff that that you've done and and that you've been involved with. And I know we can't talk properly about the next project, but um you know it's I mean I hope you're okay with me saying you know it's an ambitious project like it's a it's a I think most people would consider it you know like a big kind of a big certainly in terms of scale like it's a big it's a it's a real shift in in (laughs) in comparison to what you've done before I mean is there was that always the goal or, or is there a goal to kind of scale up what you're doing in that way and, and work on bigger and bigger projects? Do you have a long-term sort of plan in, in that sense?
1: Um, <laughs> so, uh, so Oli Oli had like, uh, nine people work on it, I think, um, and whoever I forgot, assume I included you and forgot somebody else. If it's a different number. Um, and then obviously like Oli Oli two, I think was like 14, 15 people not here. It was like three full-time people and sort of four or five people freelance. Um, so they're all quite small teams, but obviously we're a completely unheard of developer. Um, and so like when we're talking to publishers, uh, you know, it would be unrealistic to walk into Sony, having never made a commercial game before and go, we've got this idea for the skateboarding game and it's open world and multiplayer and we need 3 million pounds, um, because they just tell you to go away. Um, so to a degree, like with the games that we've done so far, it's like we could get maybe this much budget, which is enough to do this thing we want to do. And, you know, I think you could talk to any developer that's ever gotten funding and gone, well, if they'd offered you 200,000 more, or they a you 50,000 more, or if they'd offered you 5,000 more, no matter what it is, like, could you have found something to spend it on? I'm pretty sure everyone would say, well, yes, because, I wanted to do this and this and this and I just didn't have time or people or capacity or whatever right um and so I think with all the projects we've done we've always wanted to be able to do more and so like uh yes the new project is considerably more ambitious than the last one but in many ways Oli Olly 2 is more ambitious than Oli Oli 1 and not Hero is more ambitious than Oli Olly Oli. um Mm -hmm. and also like I, I think as a studio like we've been the big, the biggest we've been is like 15 people, but the company that Simon and Tom ran rolling sound before, uh, before we started had, I think it was like a hundred employees. Um, so from their side, they're used to running a, a company with a lot more people, um, and much bigger budgets, uh, than we've had doing games. And then even like when roll seven was doing gun for hire stuff, um, we ran some quite large scale, big budget uh marketing campaigns so I guess uh in terms of the the scope that we've had in games so far uh what we're doing at the moment is bigger but it's not like we haven't done a project at this kind of scale before if that makes sense it's just not being yeah. a game um and like you know obviously games have this <laughs> we're on a podcast talking about games games have this kind of like mystical like these people go away into a place for like two years and then a game emerges and it's like magical um but a lot of the time like running a game studio is not that different from running a youth outreach company or running any other company um there's obviously a creative side to it and there's challenges there but uh but a lot of the rest of it is management and time planning and
0: <laughs> all that kind of stuff yeah yeah um, so, but... so it sounds Sorry. like the game the game might be different from what you've done before but the actual the the actual wider scope of it isn't totally alien to you
1: no and i think like you know in terms of the studio goal or the plan like for this for what we're doing now like the the scope and and uh where we're taking it is kind of right for the game um and i think part of that is the reaction to the stuff that we've put out so far uh where people have said looking at it i never would have played it but my mate recommended it and actually it was really fun or you know uh people who said and some lovely people who said they never would have played bought this on the playstation store but i got it free on plus and i really liked it so i've actually bought it now because i think deserve the money which is really cool um but there's always that awareness in the back of your head that those people were averse to playing it when they looked at it initially um like it didn't strike them as being fun and it wasn't something they're like, Oh, that looks sick. I want to try that out. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, the ambition with this one is to get over that hurdle, basically, and hopefully make something which out of the gate looks like something that people want to play. Um, but as I said, like it, like where we're going with this is appropriate for this project, it's not necessarily like, you know, from here, we want to scale every project bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually we want to be doing like call it GT or like bio uh, scale projects Um, online or something like that yeah no i think like you know the next idea could be uh could be a puzzle game right and we're like this would actually be great on mobile and like let's do a let's do a 2d mobile game um you know you could take that puzzle game and spend three million pounds on it and turn it into like a 3d Thing with procedural worlds or whatever, but it might just work best as a 2D mobile game. So I think, like, it really depends. The scope of what we do after this and, like, the direction we go is very much dependent on what the next game is, I think. Which is probably stupid. We should probably just make uh, Oli Oli 3, shouldn't we?
0: For more on games and game creators, visit indiebydesign.net and follow us on Twitter at indiebydesign. The Indie by Design podcast is released every Wednesday and is brought to you by the writers and creators of Independent by Design, art and stories of indie game creation. It's a hardback book and it's available now via our website. Our next episode features Mode 7, creators of Frozen Synapse and Frozen Cortex and publishers of Tokyo 42. Music for this episode is kindly provided by Ben Cranty.